Welcome to the Farm of the Future podcast, brought to you by RISE in association with Innovation for Agriculture. This podcast explores how farm businesses can prepare for and adapt to current and upcoming challenges affecting agriculture. In this podcast, we'll delve into everything from decarbonisation solutions to increasing farm biodiversity, always considering the impact on farm businesses and the people working on farm, as well as the benefits to food production and the environment. I'm Natasha Smith, and today I'm joined by Laura Palczynski, Livestock Project Manager at Innovation for Agriculture. For this episode, we're joined by David Speller to talk about the opportunities for artificial intelligence, or AI, in livestock farming. So, Laura, how much do you already know about AI and its use in livestock farming? Um, I mean, I wouldn't say I know a huge amount. I think... You know, I'm aware that we're all encountering artificial artificial intelligence or AI more than we realise. Predictive text uses it. Apps will use it to recommend products or the next song you listen to or the next bit of TV or film that you watch uh, based on our previous activities and preferences of other similar users. Um, and in terms of the application in agriculture, um, then my rather rudimentary understanding is that Artificial intelligence can take complex data sets from different information sources um, and process it basically instantaneously to give you some usable insights. And if we tried to do that analysis ourselves, it would take a lot longer. Um, so I've, I've worked on projects involving sensor-based technologies, um, mainly for health monitoring in cattle. Um, so I'm aware of some examples of farm technology, but not necessarily where or how artificial intelligence fits into those or whether quite how those work so really excited to hear more from David uh, to fill in those gaps yeah me too it's um it's an area that it kind of touches so many aspects of lives isn't it in terms of day-to-day -day and also like how it's affecting farming now and um I mean, I've got this sort of vague understanding of you know especially I think we're going to probably talk a lot about broilers um but like, you know, you can measure all these things going on in the sheds and the AI is able to take that information and do something useful. But it would be really good to um, talk to David and make that a little bit less abstract. Yeah, absolutely. Hi, David. Uh, it's great to have you joining us today for today's episode. Uh, before we dig into the topic of the day, it's my understanding that you're kind of in a, in a unique position as both a farmer yourself, but also a CEO and founder of an AI tech company. So I was wondering if you could introduce yourself and share a little bit about uh, both your, your farming business and also OptiFarm. Okay, yeah, no, thank you very much for having me. So yeah, my name's David Speller. Um, originally, I was an arable farm manager, uh, and then I bought a broiler chicken farm. Uh, over the years, that business grew such that we now operate a number of farms on behalf of the farm owners. So we have a full management service producing somewhere around 10 million chickens a year. So that's quite sizable. And a spin out from that business is OptiFarm. And OptiFarm is really all about um, well, where we are now and we'll get into it. But using artificial intelligence to understand why things happen. I, as a farmer and my team, can't fix things if we don't know what's causing the problems. So that's what we're really doing with uh, with artificial intelligence at OptiFarm. 
And is OptiFarm also very much a broiler focus? So, and no, good point. So we started with broilers. Uh, we went on to do broiler breeders. We've done uh, egg laying sector. And we also do quite a lot with pigs as well. So we're in 15 countries around the world, nine different languages. Uh, and now we see a whole range, both pigs and poultry. And we'll soon be venturing into dairy and other things as well. Um, so I, before we kind of dig into the the main sort of meat of the episode, um, one thing that I sort of find with talking about like AI in agriculture is there's there's a lot of terminology that um, can almost seem a little bit abstract. So I was hoping we could kind of kick off with um, going through some terms, if that's okay. Yeah, that's fine. But uh, as I say, I, like you, I come at this from a point of view of trying to make sense of it all. And uh, I'll be giving you the answers as a farmer slash into tech person, not a tech person trying to talk to a farmer. So hopefully between us, we'll get it uh, squared up. That sounds perfect. Right. Uh, so the first one that I had in mind was um, the IoT. Yeah. What- net of things yeah 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 we see it a lot don't we it's on every conference brochure and everyone's talking about it and and to me it's it's just that connection of things through the internet really it's just the you know how many different sensors different bits that are coming through the internet and ideally combining into one place so you know we might well we are we're pulling information from global weather services and then we're linking that with temperature sensors that might be inside a barn on a broiler or a pig farm and they're just internet of things that are all coming together from the weather station to the temperature sensor to whatever it is and you know in our domestic lives they talk of it in linking fridges and cookers and central heating systems and doorbells and whatever else we've got at home so it's just just the connection of things yeah no, that's that's a brilliant explanation it's um yeah so information from sensors into yeah from anything to together. anything yeah. and basically through a sort of web bringing things together so that everything's joined up and they're just all using the internet as a way of connecting really and this one's a bit less um agriculture but um i think it's also <laughs> relevant as the basis of this conversation but the cloud-based systems yeah, um, pretty much, you know, that's where everything these days is going. And it's really just indicating that the data and the processes are being operated in the cloud. Um, it's heavily being driven that way by cost as well as security in some cases and maintenance and other things. But you know, where we may have had physical PCs, physical computers doing things on our farms, you know, if they get full of dust, if they get a kick, if they get a squirt with a hose pipe when we're washing the farm, that seems to upset them. Surprise, surprise. So by putting everything cloud-based, it means that your AWS, your Amazon Web Services, your Microsofts, your Googles, they're maintaining all that hardware for you um, and you're accessing it via the cloud. It's still on a physical thing somewhere. You know, it's not magic mystery and sprinkles of angel dust or anything like that you know it it's just that you're accessing it through the cloud so what you see is very much cloud-based it's it's what they call cloud-based but it is on a physical piece of equipment somewhere but in a in a centralized managed facility yeah thank you before we move on to the the next uh the next kind of thing we've heard about that might relate to ai um how does the kind of the cloud-based systems how does that link in with rural connectivity and and issues around that yeah um 
a, a great point that that it definitely does need connectivity. What I would say is historically it was a bigger issue because we were doing smaller processing of data. We were doing things locally. Um, we were probably only needing the internet to try and update those systems and software occasionally, or even then they maybe sent you a disk. What we're seeing now is that most processes, most things we're all trying to do is a little bit more sophisticated, needs a bit more updating and needs a bit more interaction with other data streams and other data sources. So definitely for the cloud, yes, you do need connectivity, but that doesn't always have to be instant live connectivity. So, for example, there may be some poultry farms in the middle of the desert out in the Middle East, and they will capture all their information. And then when that person gets within range of the Internet, which might be when they get home an hour later, it'll upload or download that data at that point. So they've sort of found ways around it where it's not always talking about real time links to the cloud, but it might still be a cloud based system that will activate and update periodically. But I think moving forward to work in isolation or they call it edge computing, where you're doing something on the on premise, you will do that for certain things just to reduce data bundle sizes so that you can export to the cloud easier. But more and more is going to the cloud. It, it is more efficient and more economical to have it in the cloud uh, these days. And then uh, we also wondered about machine learning. Okay. So I'm going to come at this from a point of view of how I deal with this in my mind. So we start off with the term artificial intelligence. That's the broad term of a broad range of things that can be done by computers that are described as tasks that may have been fulfilled by humans previously. Within artificial intelligence, you can then get into lots of little subdivisions where you get into things like machine learning, deep learning, neural networks, all of this type of language, which are all forms of artificial so artificial intelligence might be just an automation. It might be something, picking something up and moving it and putting it somewhere else, just like a human would. You then get into um, statistical models where you're just asking it to do calculations very, very quickly. You know, I could add up one plus one plus one times three times nine divided by four, and I could do that, or it could do it much, much quicker than me, and it could do it a thousand same time. So you get that sort of artificial intelligence around calculations, automation of decisions and that type of thing. You then start to get into wanting it to learn or come up with ideas. So we get into machine learning. Now, machine learning is when you set a bunch of rules within your artificial intelligence and you feed it some information and it goes looking for patterns or looking to find correlations and things that might match. And it can start coming up with what they call machine learning because it's learning things that are relevant and trying to bring back to you ideas. So that's your sort of machine learning is it's learning from data that you're feeding it. You then go another layer beyond that and you start getting into what they call deep learning. And this is where it will just go looking at the data for itself. You almost don't feed it a prescribed set of data and ask it some questions or ask it to have a look and see what it thinks it will create its own idea around the data it wants to look at and it will start doing assessments much like our brain might where it will go off on a journey exploring things and then trying to work out how all this world comes back together itself. So you get these sort of different layers 
of uh, of artificial intelligence, if you like. And the big the big exciting stuff now is when people are talking deep learning and neural networks and effectively trying to get computers to think in the way that our brains might think. But that doesn't mean they have emotion, empathy or cognitive thinking like the brain. So before anyone starts going, oh, my word, I've seen the movie they're taking over. It's still within the boundaries of the person who wrote the code. And it's not completely free to go off and create the human brain on its own. And it's certainly, you know, I haven't seen any models with emotion and empathy yet, which we'll get into. But those are so key in looking after animals that you start to find some boundaries on where we can and can't go with this around livestock farming. And in terms of where we are with how AI is used in agriculture, are we, are we, would you say we're at sort of more of the machine learning stage or into the deep learning or a little bit between the two? How, how developed is it at the minute? Yeah, where what I'm seeing in in livestock farming, and you know, some of the AI has probably been used more with self-driving tractors and you know variable seed rates and some of these other things and GPS mapping and things going on because they've had a lot of nice data to play with. When you get into the livestock sector, you don't have as much. There are certainly robotic milking systems and that type of stuff that yes starts to bring more. But actually, it's been quite limited on the amount of data. So a lot of it is what I would call um, data analytics that we've been doing more than your deep learning and your neural network. And that's because we don't have enough data to do much more. Once you get the data, which is starting to come together now, you can start to go off into machine learning and deep networks and uh, and neural networks and deep learning. So most of it at the moment is statistical models analytical models and automation of calculations is probably what I see most of today, which is not that complex to understand. You or I could do it with a calculator. It would just probably take us 10 minutes to do what AI can do in a split second. I think 10 minutes is um, ambitious with my... Uh, <laughs> as, as, as with me, yeah. <laughs> Be very generous there. <laughs> yeah. But it's interesting when you get into it, it's not as baffling as it first seems. You know, the more I get into it, I don't write the code. I have, the, you know, the, the guys working for me, the developers will write the code for a lot of this stuff. But actually the concept of what it's doing, I perfectly understand. You know, an example would be here at Optifarm, we take the last three days water that a chicken or pig has been drinking and that's split into 15 minute blocks and we predict the next 15 minutes based on what they've been doing in the last three days now you could sit down with a big spreadsheet and you could work out what they've been drinking for three days and it goes up this much every day and this is therefore what i think they're going to do in the next 15 minutes or our ai will do that in a fraction of a second so it's not that you couldn't do it. It's not that you can't understand the the process it's doing. It's just the speed that means it can do it so quickly that you can get an answer you know, as quick as you need it. Otherwise, if it takes you a day to calculate it, you're never going to be able to work it out because, you know, to predict the next 10 minutes, if it took a day, you're already 23 and three quarter hours too late. That brings us quite nicely on to kind of, we're still talking fairly abstract. So a few more examples of of how ai can be applied in animal agriculture would, would be would be great and as you say with optifarm expanding into more and more species yeah. yeah and and because we're also in an interesting place we don't sell any hardware or software so we have to connect to everyone else's so i guess we get a window on what other people are doing 
And I think anything that you need a quick spin around on a calculation. So like I say, if it's going to take you a day to calculate something that you needed to know within 10 minutes, you really ought to be thinking about AI. Um, anything that you um, want to do many, many times over. You know, I don't want to just work out once in the lifetime of that animal what's going on. I want to know every 10 minutes, every day, every two hours, whatever it is. But there's also some interesting things like um, we would connect to some data streams coming from camera systems that can analyze the feces, the droppings coming out of these chickens. Now, what it's doing is it has a massive database of what are perceived as healthy droppings and what are perceived as unhealthy. And the first step is that some poor human has to sit there and go through a thousand images and say, that's a good one, that's a bad one, that's a good one, that's a bad one. But from there, the system can then instantly analyze droppings from an image and decide whether or not the droppings are becoming unhealthy in that barn. Yeah. And it, because it can do it so quickly and it can do it to a consistent standard, that's so different to a person walking in the barn and going, I think the droppings are getting wet. I think there might be some spots of blood in the droppings. Well, either there is or there isn't in the AI world. In the artificial intelligence world, and we've got to be careful we talk AI, even influenza and broilers or artificial insemination in pigs or whatever it is. But in, in the artificial um, intelligence world, you, there is only yes or no. And so that does start to give you this much more tangible data that then you can do more analysis on. So a lot of these visual systems, they're looking at, you know, are the birds moving around? Where are the birds? Um, are they, you know, are they moving as much as I want? There's a lot of AI in trying to weigh the birds and look at them and calculate how much is feathers, how much is body mass. Therefore, how heavy do I think they are? There's some AI systems, for example, in the pullet rearing for the egg sector. Um, there's some new stuff coming out where they're looking at the, the, the pullets may clump up in a corner in the barn. If the camera recognizes a clump, it will then dance a smart laser in amongst them to split them up so you don't get the smothers. So you've then got other systems with robots trying to work their way through the birds. Now, these robots need to know where they are. So they're using artificial intelligence with sort of triangulation of Bluetooth or other marker systems to work out where they are in the barn. But then they're also trying to work out, is there a chicken in front of me? And if there is, is it going to move out my way or do I need to go around it or what do I do? So a lot of these new systems are are coming in needing artificial intelligence really i think another one that's a really tangible one not overly complicated but is being used particularly um in some remote locations on farms um automatic feed inventory management and ordering so it'll track what feed is in the feed silos it'll track the rate that that feed is going down and it will automatically communicate with the feed mill and the lorries to make sure that the next lot of feed is going to arrive in time before they run out but at the same time there will be room in the silo so when the truck gets there there is room in there at the same time so instead of just feeding you saying your bin's half empty it is tracking the usage rate it's tracking when the delivery is due and it's timing everything to to perfection and actually linking all the way through to the operation of the feed mill so the feed mill knows at what point it needs to be producing those pellets based on the consumption rate of the birds or pigs in the barn so that's just some sort of examples of what we see out there today mm, yeah that's really interesting and um, also in terms of, I guess, from a from a human perspective, that really cuts down on admin time of having to do your feed orders and, and that side. Yeah. 
what other kind of benefits do you see as farmers? There might be some on the fence, some going, no, we don't want want this technology taking over. So yeah. you know, what are the selling points to farmers who maybe um, don't know very much? I think the first thing I would say is I have yet to see an artificial intelligence system, even if you put all the best I see together, that is better than the best stock person in the barn at that moment. But here lies the problem, is that if I just took an average broiler farm with four barns, how many hours a day is that farmer or farm worker able to be in that barn with those chickens at that time? And even when your barn's 100 metres long, how many of the birds are you actually looking at? And when you break it down, you very quickly get to a point that you don't have much more than five or 10 minutes within the region of the birds that you're assessing, even if you spent all day going in and out of your barns. What we're talking about here is these systems are so quick, so cheap to run once they're built. They're very efficient to run once they're built. You can start to keep an eye on things all the time. And that's got to be a benefit for the farmer because you've got less to worry in the, oh dear, I'm in I'm in house two. I wonder what house three is doing. I've not got to house three yet. And then I've got to get to four. You know that it's being assessed and you know there are no alerts going off, so everything should be fine. But then also for the animals, obviously, they're being looked after a little bit extra right through the day and through the night. You know, the AI doesn't need a holiday at barring maintenance issues. It's there and running all the time. So there's there's lots of win-win. And a lot of our clients would say things like, it brings me peace of mind which is not always easy to put a, uh, uh, you know, a number on. And it doesn't come overnight because you do have to get used to the systems and trust them and have some instances where something is triggered for you and then you go and look and think, oh, yeah, actually, it was right. And I would never have known that without knowing um, that this was happening. So it takes a little while to get some trust and then very often it's about peace of mind. Um, and in larger businesses, it's also about this labour issue that everybody has got a challenge in finding people to to come and work on the farms. Some of that I'm not surprised with when I look at what we're asking of people. You know, if you write down everything you want someone to do who's going to work on a livestock farm, it's no wonder there aren't that many people around. With artificial intelligence, you have an ability, like you were just saying there, Laura, you know, by ordering feed and things, you're taking some of the pressure and the workload off. You then don't need to train that person to be able to go and order feed and work out feed consumption rates and everything else. The AI is doing it. You get into the realms of saying, in your job advert, do you want to come and care for animals? That's it. Because that's the bit that the AI is struggling a bit with at the moment is is empathy and, and ethical decisions uh, that, that we can talk about, about, you know, culling birds or sick birds or whatever. But actually, most of the other processes... Managing the ventilation systems, record keeping, sending in data to customers, ordering fee, communicating with veterinarians. You know, all of these other things could probably be done by AI and take the burden off. That does lead us quite sort of neatly into something I was really curious about, actually, is um, which is kind of as I mean, it feels like AI is very set to kind of accelerate in how it sort of develops, particularly in broiler industry. Um, but what does that mean for like the people who work in on farm at the minute? Like what sort of skills are they going to need in the future, uh, like in their jobs? Yeah. Um, at the moment today, we're probably just verging into a middle ground that's a little bit 
uncomfortable for a lot of people. What we're seeing coming out at the moment from a lot of this stuff is just more information, more graphs, more computer software, more dashboards to look at, more alarms, more. It seems like more work, not less, because we haven't quite got to the point where the next step of automation and doing something has come in. So we are a little bit caught at the moment where it feels like either I feel like I'm going to believe what's in the papers and am I going to lose my job and it's taking, you know, they're taking over the world. What are we all going to end up doing? Well, as someone who has an AI company, I can tell you there's a lot. We don't have any less people here. We have a lot of people writing code and debugging and you know, making sure the algorithms are accurate and then looking at better machine learning to get better algorithms and that type of thing. So it's different rather than none. But I think where we are going looks exciting that I see, and we we are starting to get there now quicker and quicker, is a couple of things. One, summarizing outputs. So we, just in the last weeks, have fed data from our service live automatically into the chat GPT system as a proof of concept to show it can be done, where you could feed 100 sheds worth of data into that and ask it in one paragraph, please tell me where's my main problem and what is that problem? And it did it. It came out brilliantly and told us exactly which barn had the problem and exactly what the problem was that was occurring. And so by using artificial intelligence, you can start to reduce the burden by effectively, as you're making your cup of coffee in the morning, ask your smart speaker, how was everything overnight? And you'll get one sentence that'll tell you how it was, whether it was good or bad and where you need to go which I think you know, gets rid of a lot of that workload for us. And then also you're going to get more and more automation where all these things are being done for you, which actually will allow you to focus on the animals, which I think is what most livestock farmers probably want to do. If you want to focus on the bookkeeping and the accounts, then you can always become an accountant. If you want to focus on data and computers, we'll be a data analyst. But fundamentally, The main thing that we want to be doing is looking after animals and spending time with our animals. And I think there's a real opportunity here to do more of that. But it's got to go full circle. We've got to get to where we trust it, where we let it do some decision making. And the downside to that is how do we do that and go on that process and that journey with all the right protection and controls in place? Because if the algorithm makes a wrong decision pretty quickly, you've got dead animals. Now, that doesn't sit right with me ethically or financially or anything else. But just ethically, taking that risk is 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 challenging. And again, that's why here at OptiFarm, we still have people 24 hours a day, seven days a week supporting the AI. Because there is just a moment of, well, hang on, just to completely let go of the steering wheel and let go of the brakes and off we go, see where we end up. You've got to put some controls around that. But once we once we get there and we're being forced to go there because none of us can find enough staff that we want, we're going to have to go there. It'll be interesting to see how quickly we arrive at a point where we're all comfortable and we know it's just happening. Yeah. The word that kept coming to me there was um, responsibility as well in terms of like, you know, as a farmer, if, like yeah. you, you, can, you can come in in the morning, make your cup of tea and ask the, the AI system, like what what's happened overnight, but if it if it makes a mistake, yeah, some way the yeah. responsibility is still with, yeah, it was a farmer that, yeah, something's gone wrong in that shed, yeah, um, yeah, so, totally. Yeah. And those animals belong to that farmer, and mm-hmm. I don't see any AI company that their investors or they themselves would ever be in a position they can honestly say, 
we're now responsible for your animals. Mm. Yeah, Optifarm is helping people manage their birds and pigs all over the world. We're changing settings remotely for people at their request, but they're very clear that we are effectively advising them at best, and it's their decision whether or not they want to go ahead with it. So you're right, it is this real difficult situation particularly for animals you know it's different in the cropping sector yeah you can have a crop fail but it's not quite the same ethical challenge as having a barn of broilers suffocate so you know having controls having those emergency alarm systems in place having people on hand is still really really important and i don't see that being taken away quickly some are doing some systems. There are some companies in Southeast Asia visiting farms once every two or three days in certain species. They're not doing it with broilers today, but they are trying it in other species. And what they have is enough information, cameras, microphones, sensors, and a big call center with a big central team of staff that they deploy the minute something looks like it's wrong. So in some ways, they're on it 24-7. So they're probably better than the farmer who's sleeping in bed at 3 a.m. He might be next to the barn, but if the system doesn't wake him up or her up, then they're sleeping right through it. Whereas these systems are manned 24-7 and they deploy people only as and when. And if everything looks good, then they might not go there for two days. So how how do you go about sort of validating what the AI is telling you? Is that a human then also looking at the video feeds and kind of using common sense or yeah it's a it's it's a it's a great question it's a balance in the early days it's a balance of a lot of dual stuff so you you know like for ourselves when we went on this journey we're always running the humans and the old manual system of going through our decision tree platform that got built up over a number of years meanwhile the ai running and and cross-correlating and just seeing are we at a point where they are perfectly aligned? But certainly, depending how far you go, visual signs and sound and these other um, data points are much, much better than simply having temperature, humidity and ventilation levels or whatever. But what I would say is the because if you take it right back to what I said earlier, artificial intelligence lives in a yes, no world. It doesn't understand maybe. It says yes or no. So the minute actually sensors start to go a bit strange it just knows that as wrong whereas how many farmers have i met who go oh yeah i know that sensor's a bit funny i just add 10 degrees it is what it is and then they run with these unreliable sensors do the calculation where they don't really know whether it's accurate or not whereas in the ai world you you do have to maintain systems that are standard otherwise you do start to get a lot of error codes or you get a lot of faults coming out that w- that would say to you, I'm not happy, you need to do something about it. So there is a bit of a, you know, it, it's a double-edged thing. On one hand, it keeps all your systems well, which should help alleviate and make sure that we're accurate in decision-making. On the flip side, there may be a cost side to that in that you've got to keep things right. Otherwise, the system will get confused very quickly and just throw errors. And by errors, I mean it'll just effectively stop and it'll say, here's an error message, not give you a false answer it will never give a false he says i can't give you an answer there's an error which probably is different to a human where a human may look at it and sort of go ah i'm going to make an assumption how many times on our own farming business when we backtrack and look at when accidents or you unfortunate circumstances have occurred it's nearly always down to someone having made an assumption I assumed that switch was in auto or I assumed that that wasn't correct or I assumed that it would be all right for a minute or two. 
And when you get there, there's a big feed spillage because you assumed it was a fake alert when actually the feed system was right. There was a ton going on the floor. Yeah. I did also wonder with, um, it's not so directly related, but is there also a bit of a, when you say about error codes, made me think of a bit of like an increased admin, but is there also a bit of a risk um, of having technology systems that aren't able to interact with each other? I'm just thinking of how, yeah yeah i think um i think a couple of points firstly i think sort of when systems throw errors what we're seeing generally with a lot of these systems is they're they're subscription based or pay as you use ours is a pay as you use it type service therefore we accept that there's an onus on us to maintain the data flows so you leave that to us and our systems pick up these error in data messages and then we get onto it and and for a lot of the hardware companies, they're coming with a fully maintained service as well. So when something's faulty, they'll just send you a new one or they'll send someone in to fix it. So that burden shouldn't be too bad. The interaction and harmonization of data is a massive challenge. I only wish as someone who's trying to deliver these services around the world across everybody's systems like we do, I wish someone 40 years ago had sat down with a... Uh, a pen and paper and wrote down the standards that everyone was going to abide by. It is a bit of a nightmare. Now, the industry knows it. The industry is recognizing it slowly. There are companies that are effectively being set up just to get data together and harmonize it and bring it to you in one go. Because like for ourselves, assessing a barn, we might be getting data from the control panel, different data from the feed weighing system, different data from the bird scales, different data from the hatchery, different data from the external weather conditions. Um, and then they might decide they want to put a camera in there. We might have five, six, seven different data sets all coming into us. And we've got to put them all together and make one decision based on all those different bits of information. It is getting easier. I think as people realize that you're not going to buy one system and then only use their scales, their camera, their microphone. They might not even have those things that you want. So people are going to come along with new sensors, ammonia sensors or dust sensors or light sensors, and you're going to start bolting other stuff on. So I think the industries going forward will be a little more standardized uh, and a little more harmonious. It's not impossible to harmonize them. It just takes time. It's silly things like we had one the other week. We're getting 15-minute data from somebody, um, and then they put on an extra sensor that feeds 20-minute data. So on one hand, I'm getting data four times an hour for most of the farm. Suddenly, I only get the other data every three. Now, how do I overlay that? Yeah, it, it makes a challenge for us to and our artificial intelligence to say, well, every fourth time, I've got a bit of data missing. What do you want me to do? I, I can't make an assumption or make it up. So you're going to have to now run an extra algorithm to try and split that out into 15 minute blocks or push the others to 20. It's, yeah, it's good old practical stuff just in the digital world. The other thing that um, I was quite interested in, in terms of, um, I mean, farms are all kind of under pressure to start to sort of decarbonize and supply chains are wanting more and more information from farmers about sort of the, the efficiency of, how how it's you know the chickens being produced and um sort of meeting those yeah. sort of more environmental kind of um goals that they're after how can ai help with that i think what some of it can do is well some of it is very complex so i think mm. there's definitely you know when you look at 
just the simple forms of AI around statistical models and algorithms and calculations. Yeah, to calculate your carbon footprint of a broiler farm, depending on which level, you know, which scope you want to go to and how far down the supply chain I want to go. If I want to include the metal structure and the concrete floors and, you know, everything else, then that is actually pretty complex and you need artificial intelligence to help you try and calculate all of that because, you know, are you going to get into the electricity supply of the, you know, of the company that erected your sheds? And it's just a minefield that you really need the AI for. Another really simple way to think of it for me is that some of this stuff, and when we think of sustainability, if we think of social sustainability, which is all around things like welfare and well-being of the animals and that side of things, it's really difficult to to assess that. It's also, in my mind, quite difficult to create value beyond a brand. It's different if I'm selling free range or organic or something that has a brand. I'm not saying which is better, which is worse, but I've created a brand that therefore has a different price in the market. If I'm just providing broiler chickens from my own farming business and I'm selling broiler chickens, for me to ask someone to pay more for me to give what's perceived good welfare or better welfare is a bit challenging when they think that's what farmers do is good welfare. It would be like your house builder telling you, well, if you want your house to have straight walls, you're going to have to pay me more. Otherwise, I'll give you a house with wonky walls. Whoever built a house with wonky walls? That's crazy. So where AI comes in and why I raise it is because it can be so efficient in spinning out extra information at such low cost that you can start to validate things like well-being or welfare whilst you're using the tools to help you in your productivity and your work in life. And you can almost spin it out just as a side at very little cost. And don't forget, like we said earlier, it's also there every minute of every day. It's never on holiday and it's never asleep. So I think for me around some of the sustainability, you've got the very complex side of things like carbon footprinting and that that's quite challenging. You've then got this validation of well-being or welfare that I think has a potential to be addressed. And then I think there are some things as we move forward, there will be some things around the deep models, you know, the deep learning models and machine learning. As an example, our farms are slowly moving over to the better chicken commitment right now. We're putting less birds in the barn. We're keeping them slightly longer. We're in some cases using slightly different genetics or whatever. We don't actually know how to manage those birds. We got really good at managing the others because we did a lot of them over many, many years and we all knew how to do it. Not just here on my farms, but when we work overseas on slower growing birds and things, nothing against the system. But in most cases, we don't even know the exact nutrition to give them. We don't actually know what temperature and ventilation rates they want. You know, we're less in the barn. They get a lot more wind chill. So invariably, you need to warm up that barn. So you've now got to have a different temperature profile. You're going to have different humidity profiles because they're not respiring as much moisture as the others were. So all of a sudden, we need AI to probably help us, or it's going to take us 10 years to work out how to efficiently grow a slower growing bird. The potential of AI is we could learn it within one or two years with enough use of the AI and enough data. So I think there's, there's some other stuff around that, um, that ESG model as well. Yeah, that's a really, um, it's a really sort of useful under- example to understand of like how it can kind of help with, you know, adapting a farming system. Yeah. Yeah. Because particularly broilers, you know, it, 
it got to a point where we were all very, very good at it. I would like to say, you know, the genetics were incredible. The nutrition was incredible. The facilities generally really good, especially here in the UK. And the farming standards were good. You know, we were flying. You know, you look at the feed conversion rates and everything else. You don't get that off another animal that's stressed and diseased and, you know, unhealthy. You just don't. So now we've got to learn a whole new model because that's 50 odd years worth of development that got us to that point. We can't wait 50 years to work out how to properly farm a slower growing breed or a slightly different density uh, population in a barn. So just so earlier on, you were saying that sort of AI in livestock has almost been delayed because we've had that lack of data. Is it now mm. that you've actually got that mod, that working model for, for broilers that AI can then start helping to fill in the gaps of yeah, a different bird, then change the model in this way that, that it's able to help there. We're certainly getting there. When it comes to the better chicken commitment birds, you still got to have enough data for it to learn and enough good and bad and average occurrences for it to filter through and work out. We haven't quite got enough of that yet, but we're getting there. But we definitely are at a point that there is no technical hurdle to stopping us embracing this. And whether or not there's a financial one depends on your contract with your customer and how you are able to monetize some of this stuff. And that is a very personal thing. Discovered as we sell our services around the world is you don't sell this actually on ROI. We put a, a service into a, an American business, a, a, a processor and integration, and they told us they would save $21 million a year through using our AI are still scaling it slowly, not full speed ahead, because actually they can make more money by upgrading the processing plant. And so even though it's got a massive ROI on it, they still said, but emotionally, we're going to do it slowly because that suits our staff and we want to transition slowly and everything else. It's an emotional thing that we've got to embrace. But I take it back to if that's your business or you as the manager or the member of staff really do feel those are your birds and that's your farm when you're with them you are the best person to be there i don't see any of today's ai beating you but you will go to sleep at some point and that could be your friend so we've got to just work out do we want to fight it or do we want to embrace it and if we're going to embrace it embrace it for what you want it for adapt it for your personal circumstances and your scenario. There's a big difference between a farming company with a thousand barns somewhere in the world with all paid for staff and a farm owner who's got four barns and that's their livelihood and their money tied up. Big, big difference. Well, that was really interesting and it's definitely brought it to life for me um, in terms of how AI can be used in um, broiler farming in particular. I mean, understanding that difference between the kind of data analytics side of AI and then taking that on to more of the deep learning and what you said at the end about how um, it can speed up with moving into the, the better chicken commitment and sort of changing how they do things, speeding up that learning and making doing that as efficiently as possible within two years, whereas the previous system has developed over 50 years. I mean, that's quite amazing to me. And mm. um, what what did you think? Yeah, I think, I mean, on, in a similar kind of vein, it's it's thinking about being able to work smarter in various different aspects of the supply chain. 
um, so that you can change the way you work. You know, it's not aiming to replace people, uh, but there might be different roles, as as David said, with whether you're working with the AI, AI itself, coding and, and so on. Or if you want to be a vet, you can focus on being a vet, but have more information to base those decisions and recommendations on. If you're a farmer, you can spend more time with your animals rather than having to do feed orders and things. Um, and that's one of the main complaints I hear from farmers is they don't like doing the paperwork. So, um, yeah, if, if that can that can help take the burden of that off, then it sounds quite positive. Um yeah, I guess also that peace of mind aspect as well. Like you can have your best stocks person, but they need to sleep and go on holiday. And um, it gives that kind of coverage all the time. You can get an alert if something's going wrong and um, it tells you that someone needs to go and check rather than that just going unnoticed until the morning or whatever it is. Thank you for joining us for the Farm of the Future podcast. If you've enjoyed what you've heard about today, please do subscribe, rate and review the podcast as we'd love to hear your thoughts and it will help others to discover it too. We'll be back next month to explore another exciting topic which impacts the future of farming.